Hey folks, in this episode of the Light Artist Podcast, I get to sit down with Alex Dawson. He's a photographer based in Stockholm, Sweden. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today, like I said in that little intro there, I'm sitting down with Mr. Alex Dawson, who is one of the artists in the the Alpha Collection, the initial collection drop from Light.Art. Uh, he is based in Stockholm, Sweden, and has a ridiculously amazing body of work. We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about his gear choices, his art, NFTs, all of that stuff. Alex Dawson, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hi. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's, yeah. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, no, it is good to have you here. Thank you for thank you for taking the time to do this. I know you are you're in the middle of preparing for a trip uh, yeah. somewhere. Before I want to talk about that because that's been on the tip of my tongue since you brought it up, uh, <laughs> and then we'll talk about introductions and all that. Tell us, give us a foreshadowing of where you're going. You're about to go on a trip. Where is it to? Yes, I'm just packing to go on a two-week uh, mind-diving exploration trip in uh, southern Europe. Uh, Germany, Belgium this time, a little bit of France also. Uh, it's just with friends, so it's no work this time. But um, for me to practice what I'm doing, I have to go underwater to test the things. I can't really practice in my living room. so. Going into a mine environment is the perfect situation where I can control the light. It's always pitch black, uh, usually clear visibility, and I can usually set up the underwater studio that I like to work in and create my art. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about that. Thanks for you know, doing that foreshadowing is I'm really interested about what goes into cave diving, especially cave diving and photography combined. Yeah. That feels like you know, the technical and the artistic with a splash of you might not make it out, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I want to talk about all that. So give us a good, the, the brief into, introduction into to Alex Dawson. Like who, when you, you know, I, I call it the elevator pitch, you know, when you are explaining yourself and you're at a cocktail party and someone says, hi, who are you and what do you do? What's your, what's your response? Oh, my response is usually, oh, I, I don't really like talking about myself. <laughs> um, my response is, I'm not at that event, right? <laughs> uh, it's, I, I, I don't like to, I mean, I've been fairly successful as a photographer, but I don't, I really don't like to brag about it. So I try to be very humble and uh, stay a little bit low key on everything. But I've been shooting uh, underwater. I started diving in 1993, and I've wow. been shooting since 1993, basically. But I got my first real serious camera in 1998. It was a Nikon uh, F90X. And, um, and in 2004, I started working as a commercial photographer. So I worked in a studio for 15 years until 2019. Uh, with commercials and shooting uh, more or less everything for the clothing company H&M. Uh, and that taught me so much about uh, lightning and, um, yeah, just the business in general, I would say. Yeah. And I've always shot underwater on the side of my regular work. So, But since 2019, I'm doing underwater photography full-time, basically. And that's your specialty, so underwater and... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so interested in that because it 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 feels you know of course everyone likes to see underwater. It feels underwater photography feels very alien to me, right? Like I would I would yeah. assume it feels like that to most people because we don't see it every day, right? And we only no, see it through no. through your lens or people like you that are that are have the skill set to go down there, or the skill set for diving and the skill set for photography to come back to the yeah. air with with great images how does that work like you know for if you're speaking to someone that's interested in maybe trying underwater photography or you know getting into that genre it just seems really daunting with all the gear especially yeah, if you don't I mean, have decades of experience in scuba diving yeah right? of course now i just talked about the photography part but yeah. being an underwater photographer requires a lot of dive training 
a lot of diving skills, a lot of education and experience. And, and you always have to stay safe. And especially like in caves or in technical deep diving where you have a ceiling, so you can never go up. You have to go out the same exit entrance that you went into the cave. Or if you're doing a long decompression dive in the ocean, you have this invisible ceiling over your head. It, you might spend 30 minutes at the bottom at 100 meters, but then it takes three hours to get up to the surface safely so you don't get decompression sickness. Mm -hmm. So you have to do these decompression stops on top of everything. And that is... You don't start there, obviously. It took me, I've been diving for 30 years next year, and uh, it took me about 15 years before I could start diving deep. Uh, and deep in my world is 50 meters or deeper, I would say. Wow. And uh, yeah. yeah, and for beginners who wants to start, I would just say start with a wide angle. Start with snorkeling so you don't involve the danger of scuba diving because the diving has to be natural to you. And there's so many things that go, can go wrong, especially when you put a camera into somebody's hands. Even if they're an experienced diver, they lose buoyancy, they lose track of their computer, depth, uh, gas logistics, everything. Navigation in a cave, if you lose the line and you don't know where you are, then you're not going to get out. So, and that means death. So, there, there's a few things to deal with. Uh, but for the beginner, I would say stay shallow, start snorkeling, put a wide angle on, play with light in the shallows, uh, and get really good at post processing because that's super important in underwater photography. And that means, obviously, then that the camera has to be able to shoot raw. That is also an extremely important part of underwater photography, and that's and shooting raw, so that you can obviously shift the shift the uh, the white, white balance, balance right. etc. Yeah, exactly, and you just have more data. It doesn't work with a camera that shoots like small JPEGs or something like that. There's not enough data to edit it the, to the way that if you want to recreate what you felt that you saw with the eye. Sensors are good, but the eye is far more good. So you kind of have to help in the post-processing to recreate what the eye saw. Plus, you're all of a sudden looking at a two-dimensional image. And when you took it, it was all in 3D and you saw everything. Everything is vibrant and you have sounds and everything. So when you get the 2D image, I kind of need to enhance it a little bit more so that it creates the feeling of being there. Um, uh, and many people say that they can feel that when they watch my image. Many people say, your image always looks better than it was in reality, but that's kind of what I want to reach, because otherwise I can't, uh, I don't know the English word, but uh, I can't uh, give them the experience that I'm feeling when I'm under there. And that mm -hmm. is how I actually started with underwater photography, at first, it was purely because I wanted to share the underwater world with everybody else that can't go diving because I was so fascinated by the diving and I wanted to share it with everyone. So this is this is how it all started, like to be the eye for the people that can't go swimming or can't go diving or snorkeling because there is so much to see down there. That's so great. Yeah. And it, like I said, it feels like the undis, not an undiscovered country. It feels like an undiscovered world down there. And it, it, yeah. it's one of the things that, that strikes me about underwater photography is the like you mentioned, the danger involved in it. And it, when you overlay photography, the photography piece on top of the diving piece, I can imagine it would be kind of frustrating if you went down to whatever depths and spent whatever process decompressing so that you don't get the bends on the way back. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the images and something's wrong. Has that ever happened to you or you went down there went through all this effort and expense and came back with out of focused images or something else incorrect? Has that ever happened Absolutely. to you? Absolutely. It happens yeah. all the time. I mean, it's 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 so especially also when you're shooting at my level where I'm experimenting a lot. I'm trying to re I try to create new ideas and so I'm trying new things that I've never tried before and, and of course I don't try it at hundred meters to start with. I will maybe start 
a 40 meter dive is a shallow dive for me, but 40 meter is a super deep dive for most recreational scuba divers. So, but we're diving closed circuit rebreathers, which is a whole different story compared to diving a regular 80 cubic feet tank that you put on your back. Uh, so we have longer, we have the possibility to dive longer bottom times and uh, better gas logistics and stuff like that. And uh, we can also stay much longer without going into decompression and stuff like that too on shallower depths. Yeah. Would you, would you recommend people that are just sort of getting into or considering getting into the space to try, you know, I have a bunch of photographer friends that do portraiture and fashion type work, but they'll mm -hmm. do it in a pool, right? And yeah. set up the, the whole scene in a pool. Mm -hmm. Sure, of course, that doesn't require scuba gear. You're not going deep, but just to sort of get used to the challenges of photographing not in oxygen. Would you recommend mm -hmm. that? Yeah, no, super cool to do it in a pool. But also, if you're going to do it in a pool, I mean, if you have a scuba certificate, it's going to be 100 times easier for, to, for the photographer instead of always having to go up to the surface and get air and stuff like that. And you can stay in place. And, you know, there's always it's always difficult to move every 15 seconds, go to the surface and then restart from the beginning every time when he's going to start shooting and stuff like that. And maybe the model has to do the same thing. So. To avoid that, I would say get certified as a photographer and you can stay down with scuba gear. Uh, and also what I would do for the model, which I've been using many times and I've seen other people do, is that you put the regulator, the breathing device on uh, like a broomstick or something. And then you have another scuba diver sitting, which is like the safety diver on the side, has this broomstick with a regulator and a long hose. Uh, and, and then they get into a pattern with a model where they can breathe a couple of breaths, three breaths or something, and then he pulls it out and the model can stay in place. So the hair falls right, the dress is maybe correct, and, you know, things like that. It makes it more convenient than taking a few breaths on the surface, going down, the hair is a mess, the dress mm -hmm. is a mess. By the time everything gets into place, the model has to go up and breathe again. So. So, so scuba diving for both the model and the photographer makes this process hundred times easier. I would say. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah such a yeah. that's the cool thing about photography and the various genres in photography because each each genre is a lifetime of learning and experience and mm -hmm. and adventures, right? Yeah. Just learning all the nuances of this and that yeah. and the gear and the housings and. The danger just in underwater photography is, you know, like I said, it's a lifetime of learning, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I'm, I'm curious about the, uh, you know, the, you're, so you're a photographer. I mentioned the intro introduction that you're a still photographer. We showed some of your Instagram photos mm -hmm. there a minute ago. Um, but you mentioned before we started recording that you are moving, maybe not moving as in leaving one and going to another, but you're adding motion and cinematography yes. to your work. Can you talk about that yes. move and why? Yeah, I've been, I started moving towards cinematography basically when the Nikon Z6 II and Z7 II came. Mm. Uh, and I had the, I still have it, the Atomos recorder, uh, Ninja 5 recorder. Uh, and that was a good setup, but it, the, the, I wasn't. I was happy, but not hundred percent happy. So it wasn't really until the Nikon Z9, when it came now in December last year, that I got the video camera that I've been waiting for to really make the big move of shooting more video. And uh, I've been I've been shooting uh, for some artists' uh, music videos. Uh, one that was actually Emmy nominated a couple of years ago. Uh, mm. And uh, and then uh, this year I also shot another music video. And uh, a few years ago I shot some uh, backdrop for a big artist here in Sweden. That was that where they had like this backdrop on stage on the Sweden tour. Oh. Uh, and I shot it with a Phantom Flex 4K, which is a super slow motion camera that can shoot up to a thousand frames per second. So we shot a lot of slow motion scenes uh, for yeah. Underwater, underwater slow motion. 
yeah, everything was underwater. Yeah. Wow. So wow. we were shooting at 800 frames a second underwater. And it was super cool. A lot of lighting <laughs> and uh, cool effects and like different things falling into water and and uh, like a chandelier, big like crystal chandelier falling into the water. And it was a super beautiful scene that we got there actually. Uh, made it really look really nice on the live show. Yeah, that's so interesting. So yeah, I, I have a, I, we were mentioning, we were just chit-chatting that I, I shoot Panasonic. I have, I'm shooting on a yeah. Panasonic box camera right now, so and it's micro four-thirds. And I have a couple of other Panasonic cameras. I use them primarily for video stuff. My I, my background a little bit is, was, or a little bit about my background was um, combat photojournalism in the United States Air oh, Force. Cool. And that's where I was introduced to Nikon. And of course, mm. for still photography, I have that the Z or Z62. That's what I use. Yeah. And I'm lusting after that Z9. So yeah, <laughs> how, how do you feel about that? Yeah, everyone I talk to about that Z9, including some really close friends of mine that have it, um, they say that it is created with, you know, unicorn magic or something in yeah. the focus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. And I haven't even really started even using the Focus yet. The Focus is the big thing of the Z9. But for me, it's already like it has the same picture quality or even better, in my opinion, than D850 and the Z7 II, even though tests claim it doesn't. But I see what I get in reality in the harsh environments I shoot, and it does perform better. So uh, it took me a little while to understand how to tweak the RAW files to get them better because at first maybe they didn't look as good but now i know how to get them equal or better than the other cameras and mm. uh, then of course with just a little switch and i have 4k oversampled uh, prores raw or n raw internally on the camera and a battery that lasts uh, i was shooting four days in finland a couple of months ago uh, on one battery in plus four degree water and we had four dives times two hours so it was eight hours of shooting underwater and on a single charge still... on a single yeah, charge without a, yeah without a charge easily yeah i think i had 50 percent left after i was done and the last wow. dive i was filming over an hour so you know <laughs> it, it's just magic yeah or especially when you're like out in remote areas and stuff like that or like me when if i go to greenland and you're out on the pack guys for a whole day you really do not want to open the camera when it's minus 30 degrees hard mm -hmm. winds and um, you just want to be able to shoot video and photos with the same camera setup throughout the day even if it's eight ten hours out on the ice and this one no problem it match it can do it it's the battery doesn't drain so that's great. I so love battery it. and focus, battery and focus yeah. is, is the, yeah. is the Z9, obviously it's your primary camera now. Are yeah. you, it will, you keep other cameras as backup cameras? Are you moving to I a full Z9 kind of pack? Yeah. I have the Z7 II still. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think my idea was to keep it, but I'm starting to realize that it's, I haven't touched it since I got the Z9, so I think I'm not going to keep it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or get rid of the other cameras and get a backup Z9, right? That's it. That's yeah, have too. yeah. That, that, yeah. It's a big camera, though. I mean, do you want to see the camera? Yeah, let's see it. I mean, well, I mean, how it is with the underwater housing. Look at that. So this is, this is the underwater housing with a, with a large dome for fisheye or wide-angle setup. Uh, and I have all the functions on the camera here. So I have uh, zoom and I have custom functions, um, display, playback, lots wow. of ports uh, for HDMI 2.0 out and optical. And, and then you have the back like this. So no, it's a super sweet camera. Can reach all the functions that I need plus a lot more. <laughs> wow! Wow! What is that? What does a housing like that cost? This housing is around six and a half thousand dollars, excluding the dome port and the extension ring. And you need different extension rings for different optics. So I have yeah. three different rings because there's three different optics I use. I use the eight fifteen uh, fisheye zoom lens. I use mm -hmm. the fourteen twenty four. 
the new Z1424S and I use the Z2470S, so the new Primes. The 2.8? Uh, uh, the new Zoom uh, 2.8 uh, yeah. Zooms, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the fisheye, yeah. and uh, so three different rings. And so the whole setup with the dome port and the extension ring is around $9,000, I would say. Wow, wow. So that's, but that's just the, that's the housing, and you add in that's the, Z, just the, water the Z9 part. in there. That, what does the Z9 retail? I think it's around five, five for five, body six. only? In Europe, it's $6,000, I think, but it's cheaper in the US, I think. I think it's five there, actually. You were lucky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the account? I'm lucky I don't know. <laughs> sponsored by Nikon, so, so yeah. Well, see, there yeah. you go. So yeah, you got the hookup. So so what happens when the under? So that's obviously those prices are out of reach for a lot of people, right? And yeah. Does that does that mean that they should give up on their dreams of underwater photography, or no. is there a, a cheaper no. way to get into the the genre? There's cheaper ways. You can you can go. I mean. The cheapest Nikon camera, I don't know, that's, I think it's called Z50 maybe or something. I think it's under $1,000 uh, and you can get cheaper housings for those cameras and you can get like splash and surf housings maybe mm -hmm. for around $1,000 also or maybe like an Icolite housing for $2,000. So there are options. You can definitely get away much cheaper and if you want to go even cheaper you take your phone and you put it in a housing and the phones today especially the ones with the built-in wide angle mm -hmm. i mean that will take you so far so Amazing. far i mean the the phones today are so the the sensors the brand new phones top models they're so good i mean yeah. They're really moving forward on the phone market. <laughs> it's you know it's interesting i have i have the the 13 pro max and yeah, the it's so in coming from like I said the old days of combat photojournalism and film yeah. and all that. These these phones, it's I don't even know if you can call them a phone anymore, but these new no. phones are they're magic, you know. And they're in terms magic. of the things you can do, and I think in a lot of ways they're they 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 alter the definition of what's possible. It and even rooms in some in some cases, for example, in this room here in my house, I can do. I can do this whole show if I wanted to using the phone and have it yeah, at a higher easily. quality. Yeah, a higher quality than television stations 10 years ago could do with just the phone. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's just, yeah. and now you're, yeah, put an underwater housing on it. Now you, now that yeah. genre, and that it's interesting that you say that because now that genre with a, with an inexpensive underwater housing for your phone, now yeah. you can experiment in that genre and see if you actually like Absolutely. it before spending 20 thousand dollars to get into it absolutely right? and they're waterproof as they come also so you can take them to two meters basically just straight from the box when you buy them yeah. if you just want to dip in a pool or stuff like that so yeah i mean yeah it's, it's crazy the, the underwater uh, photography possibilities these days are opening up for billions of people basically <laughs> yeah 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 and it's and we're only in 2022 as we record this exactly. right so yeah. presumably there will be phones next year and the year after that will be even more capable so yeah, yeah. really and really uh, crazy yeah. so alex what, what drew you what drew you to underwater photography versus you know the dozens of other genres of photography why underwater with all the danger and expense and planning that goes into it yeah, it, it was my, like I said earlier, I would say it's probably the fascination. I was so fascinated when I got certified as a scuba diver. Yeah. And I had to show everybody else what it was like being there underwater. And I did some cave dives already in 93, which I definitely were not supposed to do. But I was 19, immortal and everything. And you just do think nothing bad can happen when you're 19. Uh, and uh, and I got some lucky shots uh, in a cave already back then, actually. And uh, and that was on film, obviously, because it was '93. And um, yeah, it's that's basically yeah, that's the story. I would say, yeah, 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 yeah. And now and now you're doing it. Do you do you believe that there's merit in specialization? In other words, should if someone wants to be an underwater photographer, should they solely focus 
on underwater photography and as being as good as they can be at that? Or should they experiment in different genres and maybe start merging genres like fashion and underwater or, you know, that kind of thing? Macro and underwater. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I did a lot of landscape shooting also parallel with my underwater because I realized I can't just learn underwater because I have to dive every time I'm going to learn something. And back in the film days, you had 36 exposures for one dive. Mm-hmm. And you maybe could maximum make four dives per week uh, on the, besides my regular work. So that meant only 140 pictures a week and that most photographers takes the first hour when they take a walk these days so uh, yeah so i had to shoot on land also i would stand on my balcony and just shoot out in over nature and and uh, yeah and i shot a lot of landscape nature wildlife uh, just to get good with aperture shutters iso uh, started pushing film a little bit and experimenting with black and whites and a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, I think people, they usually, if let's say you're super interested in cooking food, yeah, of course, then you should be shooting food. I mean, it's kind of natural. I mean, whatever other interests you have should probably be the area where you should specialize in because knowing about something a lot and knowing the environment or knowing yeah that area helps super much to be a better photographer in that area yeah like if i want to be a wedding photographer uh, i really that's the best thing i i mean i i like weddings then i Mm. will become a good wedding photographer i can guarantee i mean it's that's how it is. Uh, yeah. Whatever you're interested in, you will be really good at. I think that's how yeah, it works like, for me. If you're, like, for example, if you, if you, one of your other hobbies or th- passions is cooking, right? You love yeah, to cook. I love, exactly. I love to cook. So exactly. blurring, min- putting the two things together, photography yeah. and cooking. So that's I create natural. these world class dishes, and then I create yeah. a menu shot from it, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's natural. I mean. Uh, I think that's uh, so I think the genre that people will like but of course they should experiment and try other genres before they just settle with one and you might start off in one area and then you transition slowly because you meet people along your journeys and you get maybe you get a lot of positive feedback on your uh, motorbike shots but not on your food shots even though you like cooking but your motorbike shots that you took on a friend's bike race or something they got super good feedback on your instagram or whatever then you get more interested in that because that's what gets you attention maybe mm-hmm. and then you start shooting more motorbikes and other bikes and stuff like that so 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 it transitions all the time like uh, your audience kind of steers you um, wherever you get response i think also helps yeah and i wonder about that is the the question then becomes do you do you shoot do you follow your passion if you're in that example you know the motorbikes versus underwater or cooking underwater or motorbikes versus cooking so you love cooking and you love yeah. taking photos of the food. That's where your heart is and that's yeah, where your passion exactly. is. However, yeah. when you put photos of your motorcycle or your your rides online, it gets exponentially yeah. more views and attention. As the yeah. artist, what do yeah. you do? Do you shoot more for the likes and for then, the exposure? Then your interest for that will even increase more yeah. naturally, I think. I think that's that's how it natu- naturally happens, that you just want to have more of that and because because you get so much positive feedback from it and then makes you feel good. And so you probably want to do more of that and it encourages you to try more. And if you keep on succeeding then, then I think you will probably stop with food photography or you will start a separate account where you do motorbiking and then you have one where you do uh, cooking maybe. Uh, But I think more and more of your free time will probably be shooting motorbikes in after a few years, if you keep getting, positive feedback from that side yeah 
Yeah, fantastic. Well, good advice. You know, I'm yeah. curious. You know, when I, we were, I was scrolling through some of your your shots on your Instagram page a minute ago while you were talking, and a lot of those locations, like there's a lot of uh, sunken ships and caves mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. appears to me as a surface dweller, right? It appears that these are dangerous locations down there, that there's sharp objects and any one of them could end or at least make your amazing adventure underwater not so amazing. What are some adventures that you've had underwater where, you know, it was either dangerous or you saw some creature that you didn't, (laughs) that was a little too too close for comfort? Anything like that happened over the past several decades? not not the way you describe it i have never experienced like that way but uh growing up in stockholm diving in stockholm for the first 15 years i didn't like diving in this area we have a huge archipelago with quite deep waters quite dark waters not so good visibility if you're in the archipelago if you get out in the open sea and the right time of year you can be super lucky and have 30 meters visibility uh, it took me a couple of years before I discovered that. So I would go to the Swedish West Coast instead and dive shallow where there was kelp and uh, nudie branches and fishes and things to look at. In the Baltic Sea, we have nothing. We have wrecks and they mm. preserve very well because it's almost fresh water. Um, so the, the scary part that you were talking about that I experienced these first years was going down on wrecks that to me were deep back then, which would be like 25 meters was super deep in the 90s. And uh, you would follow a line that disappears into darkness and you could see maybe one meter in front of you or maybe two meters in front of you. And this line just continues and you know that it's like 30 meters below you. Mm. That freaked me out totally. I hated it for the first 15 years of my diving career. It wasn't until like 2008 or something when I started to like, I can do this, but I still didn't like to be number one down. I always wanted somebody else in front of me and then I would follow the other diver. And still I maybe feel a little bit like that 30 years later that I don't like to be number one. I prefer to have somebody sinking down in the dark before me. And these days we go to, yeah, down to 80 meters in the Baltic Sea. So that's deep and it's, but usually when you get below 40, it's always crystal clear, so. What does it feel like at 80 meters with 80 meters? I don't know what how, what that equates to in, you know, multiples of atmospheric pressure on you. But having nine all bars, of that pressure, nine what, bars, yeah. is it nine bars? Yeah. So yeah, nine, nine atmospheres bars. of pressure pushing yeah. down on you. What is that? Yeah. What does that feel like as, you know, a fragile, basically a bag of water, right? <laughs> how does yeah. that feel? I know. There is no no sensation like diving deep. I've been to just over 100 meters, and you don't feel that you're at 100. It's purely mental and, of course, super dangerous if you're not trained for it. Yeah. 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 So it's so interesting. There's so much there. I want to I want to switch gears. Um, So we've talked about sort of the genre underwater and the beginnings there. We've talked a little bit about the gear choices. I'm jealous of that Z9. I will have that one shortly. (laughs) So (laughs) I will have my own precious Alex. Uh, So so there's that. Uh, But then there's this we mentioned at the beginning that you're you were selected as one of the initial artists in the light dot art alpha drop can you talk about that selection and yeah, and why so, you wanted to participate in it yeah that's so cool i mean i feel very honored to be in this collection and um, i'm lucky enough to have many images in it and uh, uh, that feels like wow just people like my images that much it feels yeah. feels super cool um i got an invitation from another friend who's an underwater photographer actually who recommended me Mm-hmm. Uh, we met a couple of years ago in Greenland and uh, so yeah he told me to to just talk to you guys and uh, and here I am I mean um, and I have friends who's been working with 3D models and NFTs for a couple of years and had quite a big success so I've been interested but I don't know much about it uh, 
when when uh, I was told I had to get a Discord, my son would got very excited because he's on Discord all the time, of course, and, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and he had to talk, teach me a little bit about Discord because I was like, man, this I don't understand anything, but he yeah. showed me, and now I understand a little bit about Discord also. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. It's exciting. You know, it's interesting you yeah. say. You know, looking looking at your body of work and the the accomplishments you've made and the the uh, you know, un, untold number of adventures that you've had underwater and come up with great images. It's interesting to hear you say the the validation piece of NFTs is yeah. what excites you because I, you know, as a looking at your work from the outside, I would say that mm -hmm. you're already already validated, right? Your your mm -hmm. your work speaks for itself. Like many photographers mm -hmm. or or people in other art forms or not art but in other forms of uh, or other professions you don't know their capability before you meet them in photography yeah. you know before you and i got on this call i kind of knew you right i knew your yeah. work yeah. i knew where you've been yeah. i knew your your yeah. your skill level i knew you shot nikon i knew a lot about you yeah. before we even had yeah. the first conversation yeah. um yeah. So the NFT validation piece, I'm curious, you know, you're, you're already validated as an artist. Yeah. The NFT kind of gives you that, I guess, certification on top of that or a certificate yeah. of authenticity on the work. Is that how you see it? Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely that way. And I think uh, light to me is like the perfect match because I need like an agent which I would call light in this case, you're mm -hmm. my agent. And yeah. I'm an artist who likes to create. I'm creative. I like to create things all the time. I'm not good with all the other stuff, like the marketing stuff, the, the Twittering, Discord, like I mentioned, and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And that's where you guys come in. So I think this collaboration, you need my good images to be able to run light, and I need you to be able to get out on the NFT market. So this mutual symbiosis that we live in is perfect, I think. It's yeah. at least for me anyway. That's how I feel it. Yeah. No, no, I agree. Yeah, it's it's yeah, there's so much to do and there's so there's the we talk about all the time about the evolution of the NFT space or the smart contract space mm -hmm. and the the benefits to photographers in terms of, like you said, you know, having having an entity act as agentry or as a mm -hmm. pathway mm -hmm. into the space or just, you know, some artists just are seeking the the endorsement when someone purchases their NFT, that little mm -hmm. electric jolt that you get when someone bought your thing right yeah. that that is electricity when they actually trade hard-earned you know yeah. funds for this thing that you created from nothing right it's yeah. It, yeah it's kind of amazing what's next for alex what do you what you know we know you're going cave diving you know pro yeah. provided you make it out of that adventure which you will right what, what's next for alex yeah so next up is i'm going to germany and uh, Belgium for mine diving uh, with friends and um, and uh, it's just pure training and exploration of some new mines in France and Belgium basically and uh, I'm gonna test a few new lightning techniques that I've had on my mind lately mm -hmm. and uh, yeah that's that's basically next when it comes to travel and yeah I don't know next in other terms of everything yeah i don't i don't have long-term plans really for anything i i really like to do things quite spontaneously and uh, nice. i like to be flexible even though i have bookings into 2024 already but uh, it's not my kind of uh, way of doing things being pre-booked that far ahead of time but it's just how things happen uh, yeah so i just ha i just have to go with it I love it. I love it. What a great way to think about it. an artist that that <laughs> likes to operate spontaneously, as spontaneous yeah. as you can be when you have to plan, uh, you know, an eighty meter dive, right? So there's spontaneity, yeah. and then there's planning that goes around that. You know, one one thing I wanted to before we close, um, I had a question I was going to ask and I forgot to ask it, so I'll ask now, and that's around lighting. So as a you know someone who's never shot underwater. What does that look like? If you're going down to 80 meters, I'm assuming you're bringing your light with you because 
the yes. natural light's not reaching down that far. No. And that the light that you bring with you underwater, is it continuous lighting and you're just shooting high ISO and then removing noise later? Or is it strobe? How, do, how does that work down there? Yeah, so I, st I stopped using strobes around 2008 already mm. and started with continuous light when the Nikon D3 was released. Mm. That I came from the Nikon D200 to the D3 and it was like a whole new world opened up. You could shoot at ISOs up to like almost 12,800 uh, and get decent images. Not perfect, but decent images. Uh, and uh, with continuous light that I'm using... Uh, it's just easier to, in the beginning when I was using strobes, I realized I can never see what I'm doing, like, because it's so dark down there. And so I started using lights just to be able to see what I were doing down on the wrecks, because it's pitch black at, at even 50 meters in Sweden. It's pitch black on the wrecks. So it's like a night time. Uh, so that's when I started using continuous light and... Um, and from that, it's just developed, and I get stronger and stronger lights. And I use lights from Big Blue Dive Lights now. It's a Hong Kong-based uh, company. And they create these amazing, amazing lights with crazy power. We have battery lights on 65,000 lumen that can burn for like two hours, basically. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's what I... For this image, I used uh, because uh, I didn't have the 65,000 lumen lights, but I think it's at least the 30,000 lumen light or even two of them in this image. And uh, it's inside a cargo hold inside SS Thistlegorm, which is a wreck in the Red Sea that was found in... of uh, Cousteau found it sometime in the 60s, maybe, or 50s, 50s, 60s or something. Or if it was maybe 70s, then it was forgotten. And then it was rediscovered in 1993. And I dived it the first time in 1995. Uh, and, but this shot is taken in February 2000. And, yeah, this year, actually. Yeah. So, wow. Wow. And, uh, and uh, in the picture, you can see uh, Bedford trucks. Uh, just under the divers is the wheelhouse of the yeah, trucks. And the back of the trucks is loaded with motorbikes. Um, they're stacked oh, with motorbikes. Oh, wow, look at those. Those yeah, are. It's, mo oh. it's motorbikes stacked. Uh, so this was all uh, military equipment on this ship. Uh, it's definitely the best wreck dive in the world. And it's only 30, 32 meters deep. So with the rebreather that we dive, we can spend two hours down there and do minimum decompression after. Uh, That's great. So super cool dive. <laughs> Looking at and the no shot. Bubbles. Looking at the shot, so in no bubbles, yeah. Look at looking at the yeah. shot. I'm thinking, you know, well, now I see you're you're setting up the shot, right? So you're placing yeah. the lights. Yeah. So it yeah. takes time to swim around and place the lights yeah. and get the composition, yeah. and then yeah. orchestrate. Are you guys talking to each other? I'm guessing you you're wirelessly communicating down there, right? That would be so wonderful to have. I mean, wonderful and not wonderful, but. It would be wonderful for shooting to have communication underwater so that you could uh, talk to the divers. Uh, I would prefer if they couldn't talk to me, but if I could talk to them <laughs> anyway and say a little bit left, a little bit right, okay, swim next to each other, pair up, aim your lights the same direction, like micromanaging them. Yeah. Uh, but instead, I try to do a good briefing before. I try to dive with divers that are used to diving with me, and we... And, and a lot of briefing, and, uh, and then I try to just dive around, look naturally, and just act like you're looking at things. Like, dive, have fun, try to swim a little bit parallel, try if num diver one has the light pointed one direction, try for number two, try to aim your light slightly the same direction, and then I just move around with my, I have an underwater scooter also that I move mm -hmm. around with. Uh, to move faster uh, and uh, and then uh, I just burst images basically from different angles and stuff like that and uh, and that's how it happens and I definitely like like their primary lights as you can see in these three images that you've just shown are all kind of pointing towards the same area and uh, like in the first image they were all pointing at one point so they were coming from three different directions but they were all pointing at one spot mm -hmm. and on the other two images they're all pointing 
kind of the same direction. It just makes it makes it pleasant for the eye. Yeah. 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 Great. Look at that. That's that's just beautiful. Yeah, and I can't imagine. What in this shot that we're looking at right now, and folks that are listening to the audio version of this, make sure you check out the YouTube video where you'll see all these images that we're showing. But Alex, on this, on a shot like this one, is it completely? If you turned off all the lights, would this be completely yeah. pitch black where you are? This was at sunset in the Red Sea. Uh, so, and this is a deep wreck. The bottom is over fifty meters, I think, or around fifty meters. So it was dark down there. Uh, this is probably shot at ISO 3000 or 2000 at least, and maybe 30th of a second shutter speed and aperture 5.6 or something like that. And uh, so it's so it's dark. I would say it's very dark. Uh, you can still see, uh, but um, no, the lights makes a huge difference, I think. Yeah. And and like I said, uh, I'm always trying to use the DPV, uh, the diver propulsion vehicle, underwater scooter, because the gear we carry uh, on these technical dives when we do deep or cave dives or stuff sometimes have up to four uh, 80 cubic tanks which is the regular tank that a regular scuba diver uses on the back we have four of those uh, on the sides of our body then we have a rebreather on top of that uh, i have a camera rig that's like 10 kilos in the water i have maybe 15 kilos of lights and then you have uh, a DPV also, and sometimes a video rig on that also. So sometimes I go in the water with like 200 kilos of equipment, but once you get in the water, you're neutrally buoyant. Mm. Uh, and swimming with so much gear underwater is very exhausting and you move slowly. Plus you, with deep dives, you increase the risk of decompression sickness. So by having a DPV, you can move faster, move safer, you can cover more distances. Uh, like if I'm shooting uh, a group of divers and I continuously want to shoot them from the front because I don't just want buckshots, uh, then I can pass them with my DPV, turn around and shoot a couple of shots of them as they're coming towards me. Then they swim past me. Then I take the DPV and drive past them again so I can get more shots uh, by working with a, with a DPV. Yeah. So it's a super good tool, but there's a lot of things to keep track of and a lot of technique, a lot of charging, <laughs> a lot of yeah. work, basically. And carrying. I would have, don't forget the carrying. That's the thing. <laughs> I would have assumed, because I assumed when you mentioned that you're bringing additional light down there, continuous yeah. light, and you know, I, we saw that housing, which is not small or trivial, and then all the gear that goes along with just existing in that environment. I would have thought that you would have an assistant or a Sherpa or someone down there following you around that you're directing, you know, put a light over there while I'm putting a light over here and let's meet here yeah. and do the shot. So you're doing it all yourself. You're like yeah, you're I mean, carrying it yeah. and shooting. Yeah, and, and my team. It's not just me. My team has exactly uh, equally much equipment, except that they don't have a camera, but they also have DPVs maybe. They have 15 yeah. kilos of lights. They have four stages, uh, which each stage is like 25 kilos, 20, 25 kilos. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a huge operation and uh, no communication underwater. So everything has to be briefed before. And then, of course, the most important part is that we look at the images afterwards and do a debrief. What can we improve for next dive? So this is why it's so important to dive with the same people over and over again. Yeah. And like, to be fair, I mean, if, if I would calculate my dive experience, the, the dive uh, equipment, uh, the danger, uh, the few people that can do it and everything, I mean, it would be impossible to set a price on that would be fair according to all if you factor in all those things nobody would be able to pay me as an underwater photographer to do jobs unfortunately because it's that expensive so you have to put so much extra in just to be able to do it if you don't have the passion for it and you think you're just going to do it as a job you will most likely not succeed it has to be passion and work otherwise yeah. it's never going to work and skill yeah. Passion, yeah, passion, work and skill. Yeah, Cause all of that too. stuff. Yeah. All that stuff. And then, so all of that overhead, getting to the location, the lighting, the communication yeah. and yeah. planning and prep and all that. Yeah. But then 
you know, the, the traditional photography comes into play, composition, exposure, yeah. you know, all that stuff. So now you have, once it's all set, now you're a photographer, you know, and you have to yeah. think like a photographer, right? Yeah, and then we have the rebreather that you need to keep track of. And, and it's four oxygen cells that you need to keep track of that they're giving you the right PO2 of oxygen all the time if it's too high you will die if it's too low you will die so but we have computers and uh, dual computers that takes care of this and we have backup systems and we have vibration systems we have the head-up displays that sits by your eye that blinks green if everything's okay we'll okay. switch immediately red if something is wrong and vibrate so there are alerts but uh, yeah it's just the diving yeah. has to come natural you have to be able to do that part once that's hundred percent set and safety is taken care of then you can start thinking about photography you can bring a camera yeah 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 are there are there any any wrecks that that are either new or old that you're interested in diving yeah i mean yeah i guess there's probably a few new wrecks in the black uh, black sea right now that would probably be interesting to go down on yes I guess, but, i've heard about those uh, yeah <laughs> but I, I was part of a huge discovery tw 12 years ago my friends uh, found the world's oldest uh, they found a wreck with the world's oldest champagne on board so <gasps> i was part of that uh, mission and uh, we recovered over 180 bottles of champagne uh, which is from four famous uh, or four still known of uh, champagne houses one of them being Boob Clicquot. And uh, yeah, and I think 80 bottles of those uh, 180 we took up were in perfect condition. So they have been recorked or maybe even rebottled. I'm not really 100% sure how that happened. Uh, and they're selling for like forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 each now on Jeez. auction. Wow, congratulations. So they tell were from me 18, 1823, I think uh, the ship was uh, sank, something like that. So 18th century champagne. Tell me you got Very a cool. sip of that. Tell me you got at least <laughs> one sip. You, you know what it I tastes not, like. But all my friends have because I oh. was not part of this discovery. I was with my family on the holiday. So I wasn't there, but they called me and they said, Oh, hey, Alex, you really need to get back. We have this super cool project. We're going to bring up champagne from the bottle. Uh, from the bottom it was 50 meters deep in the baltic sea oh that's and, crazy uh, so they tried it once or maybe even twice actually and they were drinking it in small plastic cups and then afterwards they realized like every cup that they had and they were drinking was like worth a car like a small yeah. car <laughs> <laughs> at least or a house in some places right yeah. <laughs> so hey yeah. but you only oh, live well. once right and, you know yeah. so yeah. why not <laughs> Well, Maybe Alex, we thank you. Thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure chatting with you. Congratulations on your body of work and your inclusion in the Alpha Drop from Light.Art. And yes. good luck on this next adventure that you're going on, thank this cave driving. Much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the shots on your Instagram. So, yeah, very thank cool. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm so excited about the drop. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, we'll talk soon. I'll see you in the light.art Discord. How about yeah. that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Discord. <laughs> okay. Take cool. care, Alex.